Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to The Kentuckian. We have an exciting episode for you today as we'll be talking about the causes of the Civil War, uh, what is perhaps one of the most contentious issues of the time, despite all the different political discourse and uh, discord, perhaps maybe the better word that's going on right now. This is a what I think is a fascinating topic and something that is very relevant today. Some of you may already be screaming at me if you're already familiar with this time period. Some, why are you calling it a civil war? Uh, well, and and as some of you may know, I, I never refer to it as a civil war. Uh, I always call it the war between the states or some other name that's a little more accurate. But since this is supposed to teach people what the civil war was about, uh, I just kind of want to, I guess, go with a simpler term sometimes. I'm not going to refer to it as the civil war all the time. But that way, people sort of the people that maybe are hopefully going to learn a lot from this will understand a little easier what I'm talking about because that is the common terminology. It may help it show up better in searches and things like that as well. If my audio sounds a little odd, I want to take a second. I am actually re recording this, it's the second time I'm going through the material. Um, I I'm still new to this, and I'm trying to get some of the audio stuff worked out, so there may be some, it may sound a little different. If anybody has suggestions or tips, feel free to let me know. Um, like I said, I'm still getting all this figured out, trying to make sure that I've got things adjusted like I like. So, especially for today, I will refer to it some as the Civil War, and it'll probably still be titled as like a Civil War subject uh, for the other episodes that will inevitably happen, but... Uh, that'll come later down the line. I will be referring it to the referring to it as the war between the states as well. So that's not that's not going to be like a, a huge issue. So as we think about this subject, and it, it is really relevant today. And I know this is something that some of the people that that were interested in me doing something like this specifically wanted me to talk about. And we've all seen the headlines. We know all the stuff with the statues and, and all this different. Uh, what's the word? Not problems, but all these different issues, all these different uh, sources of contention, I guess would be a good way to put it, that have a lot to do with the war between the states. And we've talked about it some already, about how the, the war, uh, or history in general, excuse me, is has a much larger factor on, on things today than we sometimes think about, right? That was kind of what my first episode was about. Why does history matter? Why does this subject matter? Well, think about it. We have um, political organizations, political movements like BLM and, and Antifa that many times are going directly back to this time period for political clout and for reasoning in their political decisions, right? History, and particularly this subject, is having a huge impact on the kind of political decisions and the political thinking that's going on today. This is a great example of why history matters, why knowing what's happened in the past affects what happens today and in the future. There, I mean, we, many of us are familiar with, with Antifa and BLM. These, these people are, are wanting and pushing for massive societal and political change based off of history. You have Antifa, which is a little more communist, although BLM has communist elements as well. They're pushing for it based off of history. Now, yes, it may be a misunderstood view of history, just like the war between the states, but history's affecting it. And that's why it is so important that we know the truth, that we study it for ourselves, that we know what the reality is so that we know what decisions 
really should or shouldn't be made. I mean, this is one of the most important periods in American history, and the implications for today and for our future are absolutely profound. If the causes, and I want us to think about this for a second, if the causes for the war between the states are not what we were told in history class and by the media, if they were not the narrative that we have all heard, there's going to be a reason for that. There's a reason that people would leave out facts or, or outright lie about things or manipulate the data so that their narrative preaches a certain message. And I want to be careful about saying like my quote-unquote opinion. It's not really an opinion, but my, my conclusions based off the evidence about what the war was about or what it wasn't about. Because especially for this episode, I want you – we're going to focus on one major piece of evidence. I want you to just take it and, – and of course we'll talk about it. I'll talk about some of the implications, but it's going to be things that quite frankly I think you all will find are, are quite obvious and why it's so um, troubling that this was simply left out of history books and ignored. What we're going to talk about, the, the main piece of evidence is no secret. You can Google it. But somebody decided to leave that out. Somebody that is supposed to be teaching, supposed to be communicating data so that we can understand one of the most politically important conflicts in American history and the co the, the deadliest conflict in American history, right? 600 no, – the numbers usually are around 600,000 Americans dead from four years of fighting. But if we don't know – what it's really about, and we start making political decisions, like the political moves today, this, that's where you get into the statues, all these different things. We start pushing based off of a falsehood. Well, we can see the issues with that, but at the same time, if the people on the other side, the people that don't necessarily agree with that move, don't know the history, they don't know, I don't really know what it was about, I don't think that, I don't think these other people are right, but I don't really know, or maybe you think they're right. Um Sometimes their conclusions are kind of hard to at least not sympathize with, at least sympathize with, if not outright support, um, based on some of the crazy things they say about this time period. So I want to talk about the facts, and I want you to make your own decision. Before we get into the meat of this episode, I do want to briefly explain my experience with this subject. Um, I know this is a bit of a long intro, and um, it's kind of important, especially for this first episode, to really set things up, and I hope I'm doing it justice. So I never really thought about it much growing up. It was sort of there, like the Confederacy was right, but we never really talked about it. That was just how it was, and we moved on, at least not that I remember. I don't remember talking about it much with my family. Um, where my history classes covered it, it was basically what everyone else has taught about the war. The North fought to end slavery, the South fought to keep it, all that sort of stuff. Lincoln, you know, wanted to, to get to end slavery, so he, so he, you know, basically fought the Civil War and everything. However, I had not made up my mind. I, I had heard some things that that was maybe not accurate, um, but I hadn't really thought about it much. I hadn't really studied it much on my own. Uh, but in 11th grade, I had a unique opportunity. I had to write a research paper on a subject of my choice. And I was starting to think about these things. Like, I wonder what the truth really is on this. And I decided to take this research paper and do it on the causes of the war. I, I had this opportunity to formalize this data, to really write it out and like 
research it, write a research paper. It's kind of what the whole point is. And to really dig into it and also do something in school that I was interested in, I wanted to learn about. And uh, so I, I, I started studying and I did research and, and I was completely blown away as I started to study this. I became almost obsessed. I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but some of the people that know me quite well um, could testify to how much I like talking about the subject and both at the time and even now today, um, probably a little bit to their chagrin. Um, I do tend to talk about it a lot and uh, I'm sure it, it is probably gotten to be a little much for some people sometimes. Um, but uh, part of the reason for that is because of how blown away I was and realizing how important this this time period was. And I think that as we start to get into it, so you'll see what I'm talking about. And some of you may even end up the same way that I did to a certain degree. Um, yeah, I've noticed that for people I've talked to about it, it does once they really start to understand and, 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 and like, oh, this is what the war was actually about. It tends to kind of grip people. And uh, I, the reason for that, I think, is because the implications of the narrative that we have all been taught not being true, those implications and the implications of what the facts really are, uh, are profound and, and relate in, in what we might even consider uncomfortable ways to today and to the future of our country and our society. And, and it's, it's easy to just go along with what everybody says is the truth especially when the actual truth may push you in ways that you weren't expecting. It, it takes you out of your comfort zone. And hopefully that people honestly want to learn the truth and we can do that together. And hopefully you'll find it interesting too. Now, as we get into the details, keep in mind that it is very important to go to source documents uh, and avoid many, most history books, I would say, unless you can clearly identify that they're using source documents. We want to look at actual records. We want to look at what actually happened, not what somebody said and their psychological take on why this person did that. Or, well, quite frankly, especially with the war between the states, flat out lying or manipulating or leaving data out to push their own agenda. It's really sad. I've seen some pretty bad things. And even when you find a history book that uses source documents, you do have to be very careful. Um, one book that I've read, I'll mention the title later, but one book that I've read, the editor. Now it, it's, it's a transcript. He basically changed spelling and, and stuff like that to make it a little more readable. He didn't like take anything out, but he's actually a pretty famous civil war historian, I believe, but he, the, the foreword literally was just a setup to try and make sure that you didn't believe what was being written. This is supposed to be a source, basically a source document. Uh, it was a book written by Jefferson Davis, a former president of the Confederacy, and he's making an argument to to explain why the, the war was fought. And the argument was so compelling uh, that this historian, quote unquote, felt compelled to try and delegitimize anything that would be said before you get into it. It's the foreword. It's theoretically the first thing that you'll read. And I actually, when I first got the book, I started to look through it to see like what he was going to say. And you could just see he was just trying. You hadn't read any of it. You didn't know what Jefferson Davis was going to say. And the guy is just trying to cut every single thing down. He's trying to argue and, and manipulate the way somebody perceives the rest of the book so that their mind is basically closed off to the truth. And it, 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 it's a shame. It really is. So let's get into it. I spent enough time on the introduction. We're going to, like I mentioned, talk about one major piece of evidence. And this is the single strongest piece of evidence to clearly settle what the war was about or wasn't about. 
there are absolute mountains of evidence, and we'll get into some of that in other episodes. But this piece is a proper argument in itself, and I think is an excellent place to start. So this piece of evidence is the situation surrounding the original 13th Amendment. Now, for those that don't know, the 13th Amendment that is part of the Constitution, that's a ratified amendment, makes slavery illegal in all U.S. territories. I don't know how common knowledge, how much, how common that is uh, anymore. That's what the 13th Amendment that is legally binding is. Well, the original 13th Amendment was proposed by a gentleman named Thomas Corwin. He was a representative from Ohio. I believe this was in 1860 that he proposed it. This is at, it was at the time when it might have been 1859. I believe it was 1860. Uh, this is the time that basically the tensions are at their worst between the North and the South. Secession looked inevitable, and there were a lot of last-ditch efforts being made to try and, and, and prevent this. So I'm going to read the Corwin Amendment to you. I may reread it. We'll see. It's a little. It's written a little weird. You got to remember they did. Even though they're speaking English, um, they did write different at the time. And until you read it some and kind of get used to it, it is a little odd. But we'll explain it. So this is the. I'm quoting the the actual content of the amendments. Very short. No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give to Congress power to abolish or interfere within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state. Let me reread it one more time. May go a little slower. I, I know it's kind of odd. Just try and listen because it takes getting used to, to to get used to this form of writing. No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give to Congress power to abolish or interfere within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state. If you look this up yourself, it's very easy to find. You can Google it. Uh, do try and make sure you find PDFs that are exact copies, maybe photocopies of the amendment itself or something of that nature. Um, do not just look at some article that quotes the Corwin Amendment. I believe that articles about the war between the states, the Civil War, is are perhaps way worse than history books most of the time. I have read some absolutely ridiculous things in articles about the Civil War. Um, I guess they're just so less refined in how they go about manipulating the way you look at things. So be very careful about going to online sources. Make sure that it is – you can usually find, I think, universities, and, and the Library of Congress may even have photocopies of it that you can find online. Um, but it is very easy to find. Google Corwin Amendment. You'll find it with no problem. It's all over the place. So let's break this down a little bit. What this amendment means in practice is that slavery is confirmed as totally legal and Congress has no power to legislate on slavery with the, within the states at all. Um, the unamendable part of this of, uh, amendment, the idea that no amendment shall be made to the Constitution, which will it is completely prohibitive. It's designed, this amendment is designed so that no amendment can be made to change it, all right? If you think, if you're familiar with, I believe it's the 19th Amendment uh, prohibition that made the sale of alcohol illegal in the United States, uh, when it was repealed, you don't actually like take that amendment out of the Constitution. You pass another amendment to nullify it. So I believe it was the 21st Amendment that nullified it. basically just says this amendment nullifies the 19th Amendment and sale of alcohol is legal in the United States. Um, so that's generally, if you decide that an amendment needs to be changed, that's how you would, you would make that amendment no longer binding. Well, this amendment, the 13th Amendment, the Corwin Amendment, is written in a way 
so that you cannot pass an amendment in the future and change it. And it makes slavery forever legal in the United States. Congress has no authority whatsoever to ever legislate on slavery. Period. At least slavery within the states. We can talk about how they could still, uh, under this, I believe it would have still been easy for them to, to prohibit the slave trade, but the slave trade had been illegal for decades at this point. Um, no new slaves were coming into the United States legally. Um, but basically, it's just a, a law to make slavery permanently legal in the United States. All right, so that's kind of crazy, right? Like the original 13th Amendment, of course, you can probably see the irony that the, the, the current 13th Amendment made slavery illegal and the original one would have made it forever legal. Um, but it's kind of interesting, like, okay, but there's weird amendments that are proposed by legislators that never go anywhere. Did this, led, did this piece of legislation get any steam? Well, and this kind of goes into my next point about Lincoln's involvement in it. Through the efforts, or or with the help of the efforts of President-elect Lincoln, he hadn't been ratified yet. Uh, ratifications happened in March, I believe, um, at the time. Now they happen in January. Or not ratifications, um, inaugurations, excuse me. Um, with the help of both Buchanan, President Buchanan and President-elect Lincoln, it passed both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And Lincoln, and this is where Buchanan stepped in more, at least that I'm aware of, pressured the governors of the states to help get the amendment ratified in their states. So uh, if you're not familiar, uh, an amendment has to be ratified once it's passed Congress. It has to be ratified by, I believe it's two-thirds of, of the states in the union uh, to actually be a viable and legally binding amendment. Okay, so it passed Congress. And it had actually started in the ratification process. Three states ratified it before South Carolina seceded, and then it just sort of died where it was because now everybody was worried about secession and, and then the coming war. So this was not some crazy amendment that somebody proposed. This had mainstream support from Lincoln himself as well and was very well on it or very much on its way to becoming a legally binding part of the Constitution. But because of what happened, secession, everything, the rest is history, as they say. So what does this mean? What are the implications that this piece of legislation, this constitutional amendment passed and was, with the help of Lincoln, was passed basically by the North? It, it offered slavery to the South. What are the implications that this was passed and started to be ratified, that this was basically accepted by the North? Okay, so let's think about it for just a second. The North offered slavery with no strings attached to the South, written in such a way that it would eliminate the chance of ever losing slavery, again, permanently legal, not, not even constitutionally amendable, with no strings attached to the South. No strings attached whatsoever. And the South rejected it. The South still seceded. South Carolina and then, of course, the other states still seceded. If the South fought the war, if the South left the United States because they were they wanted to keep slavery, because they thought that slaves were going to be taken away, or, or however you want to word it, why did they reject this? I mean, it, it's literally exactly what they wanted if that was the case. If the North fought the South to end slavery, if the North waged that war against its 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 southern border to end slavery, why 
before that war, in an attempt to avoid the secession and then likely war, did they offer slavery permanently, mind you, offer slavery to the South if they were fighting to end slavery? I don't think much more needs to be said. You all can see this. It's not difficult. The North offered the South slavery permanently. If the South was fighting to keep slavery, this was exactly what they wanted. And if the North was fighting to end slavery, this is exactly opposite to what their cause was. This is just the reality. This is just the facts. Like I said, you can look it up. Find it easy. It, it, you can talk about what somebody said. You can talk about intentions or, or whatever else you want. But this is the action of the parties involved at this period of history. That's it. Lincoln pushed it. If Lincoln wanted to end slavery so bad, why did he push this? And that's something we'll talk about at a later date because we just don't have time. I know you all can see this. And I, I think it's probably concerning that this was left out of history books. We're supposed to we're supposed to know about this period of, of, of American history and the single strongest piece of evidence the the most what what would be if you were studying it legitimately in a history book in a history class or social studies or whatever you want to call it would be probably the one thing that everybody should know about because it so succinctly sums up what the war in this case wasn't about it wasn't about slavery and there's many facets to that and we will get into some of those at a later date and yet it's completely ignored most people have never heard of it that should be concerning, and I hope that maybe it piques your interest as well. I wish I'd had more time. I need to start wrapping up. I don't have much time left. Um, this will definitely be a multi-part series, as already mentioned. This is a period of history that is full to overflowing, and this is only one aspect of it. Uh, before I close, I do want to talk just for a moment about a few books that I would recommend as you um, perhaps maybe start your own reading. I just want to start studying a little more or just looking for something good to read. The first one is called Company Eich. That's A-Y-T-C-H. I would love to talk about some of these books in more detail at a later date. I don't have time to talk about them much. Um, it's Company Eich, A-Y-T-C-H by Sam Watkins. Uh, that should be pretty easy to find. It's a, it's a good read. It's very easy to read. Some things at the time are a little harder to understand. It's very easy, um, very simple language, and in many places quite entertaining as well. Um, Another book I would recommend is The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis. This is the book I mentioned earlier. And then one of the few history books that I would wholeheartedly recommend is God Save the South by Steve Gibson. Um, if you're looking for more of a casual read, I would definitely go with Company Eich or God Save the South. Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government is not badly written, but it is a heavy read. Uh, the way it's written because of the language of the time and and it, the nature of the the kind of topics that are being covered in it, it it's it's a lot. A very good book. I would highly recommend it. I believe every Southerner at least needs to read it, but um, it is a bit much. So if you're going to read it and you are only normally, I think it was published as one volume, but uh, now you usually find it in two. The first volume covers most of your pre-war stuff and would probably be the best one to start with. The second volume covers more of uh, the war itself. Um, so definitely some good books to check out. Um, God Save the South is an excellent book. Um, the Mr. Gibson, I'm going to leave a, a link to buy the book actually in the description of this video of this podcast, excuse me. Um, he has spent 
hours in the Library of Congress studying source documents and other, and other places where studying source documents and, and, and records and everything else to try and understand this conflict. Uh, and he's compiled a book that contains many of the things that he's learned in his many years of study. Uh, he currently runs a show in Pigeon Forge in which he covers many of the same topics in a very entertaining way. I would highly recommend you checking that out as well if you're in Pigeon Forge um, or if you're close enough to make a trip to go see him. He actually helped me. I know him personally. He helped me. Um, I reached out to him when I wrote the research paper, and, and he helped me. I ended up was able to see his show later. Um, definitely would recommend that. It's a fun, it's a fun book. And it covers a lot of stuff that will blow your mind. And the Cohen Amendment's one of the big things. That's where I first learned about it, really. And uh, I, I'm, this is not a paid promotion, by the way. It's just a wholehearted recommendation. Um, if you happen to be in contact with him or you're able to see the show or, or otherwise, let him know that I sent you. Um, and uh, I'll probably, like I said, talk about some of the more important books and service sources in detail later. Um, but this will give you something to start thinking about, maybe some casual reading or whatever. Hope that you found this interesting and informative. Hope that it's piqued your interest. If you like what I do here at the Kentuckian, please share this with other people. The more people to listen, the more effort and time that I'm able to put into this. And you all sharing it with others, whether that's on social media or telling somebody that's interested in this area or, or might be interested, just, just getting it out there, it, it means so much and it's absolutely vital to making this effective. Um, it, please feel free to reach out to me with suggestions, topics you'd like me to cover, questions or criticisms. And remember, folks, as long as you and I are doing the right thing, we'll make a real difference in this world.